so much of the time we're so introspective as Christians, we're so up in our heads, even even around experiencing God and how we experience God, that we're actually missing out on this in, this relational interaction of communion that is meant to be enjoyed rather than primarily understood. You are listening to The Dwellings Podcast. On this podcast, we will share stories that will inspire you on your journey with Jesus and help you cultivate kingdom community right where you are. This is Season 2, Future Shifts for the Church. Well, welcome back to Season 2 of The Dwellings Podcast, and we have David Legg back on with us today talking about our second shift as we are talking about the future shifts of the church. And that shift is one from information to transformation. Glad you're on here, David. Hello, great to be on here with you. Well, this is an important one in our age, especially because we have more information than we've ever had at our fingertips. In fact, I have this uh I have this information in front of me in in 1982, which is a few years ago. We've only uh, and we've only increased since then. Buckminster Fuller created something called the knowledge doubling curve, which showed the exponential growth of human knowledge. So in 1900, knowledge was doubling every 100 years in 19. 45, knowledge was doubling every 25 years, and today knowledge is doubling every 12 months and will soon approach a doubling rate of every 12 hours. We have more information available than any previous generation. Mm. So my first question for you, David, is with all of our information, why is it that we still have this shortfall on actual experience with God? Well, that, that is a really good question. And, and I want to say, first of all, that, we, uh, uh, that we're not anti-intellectual. Um, uh, we're not anti-learning or anti-understanding. I mean, the great commandment is to love the Lord your God and, and to love him with all your mind, as well as your heart, your strength and your soul. So we believe where to use our minds for God's glory. But I think that what you've just um, offered there shows us that if we don't know and experience God the way we feel we ought right now, and if I would argue we're further away in the West from God than, than we have been in previous generations with less knowledge, well, surely that is indicating to us that God is not found primarily in the area of knowledge and in fact when you actually look at scripture whilst understanding is an important thing it comes from revelation which is a grace gift that cannot be learned per se um it comes from god first and then we learn what he is revealing rather than us learning studying working and then discovering you know who god is and so forth it primarily comes from him um, and actually, Paul talks about how knowledge can puff up, that it can make us proud. He also talks in Romans about how society uh, can be become wiser, as it were, intellectually, but they actually become fools because they've not 
held the knowledge of God in the right place in their lives. So I think it's wonderful that we're starting to ask these questions. Why is it we know so much? There's more information around, even theologically, than any other generation, and yet we maybe feel farther away from God than previous years did. Yeah, I'm glad you made that distinction because this shift really isn't a shift away from acquiring knowledge or information. It's just saying that's not complete. So if we if we love God with our heart, obviously we want to learn about him. We want to know the Bible. And I know that's your heart. You have a ministry called Preach the Word where you mm. value very much uh, knowing scripture as well as you can. It's more a shift from something that's incomplete to something that's more complete. I know him, but I don't just know him with my head. I don't just know him intellectually. And, and we see in scripture, the demons know him and mm. they they shudder. We see the Pharisees know him. And yet Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, you know, we see in John five, this isn't this isn't enough that you just know about know about me. I want you to actually know me, have communion with me. But I, I like that you made that distinction. You gave an example at the cohort we were at very recently that really uh, exemplified this to all of us. Can you tell us the example that you used about uh, kind of the the way we try to process our relationship with God yeah. Informationally. Yeah, well, I, I talked about the chemical composition of an apple, which I'm not going to uh, go through right now, but you can look it up, you can Google it, and there are all various chemical components to the regular apple. Um, and we can study that and understand it and even memorize it, but it does not substitute, you know, and I've got one here, Hope you can hear that. <laughs> a nice sweet red apple. It doesn't substitute eating that apple. So um um the word of God says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And so it's not wrong to think about things, but we have a tendency, especially in the West, especially within I would say conservative evangelicalism, to analyze everything and particularly to analyze organic phenomena. Just like the composition of an apple, it's organic, but you can't really understand it until you taste it. Um, we have this reverse reasoning very often that if we can determine the components of a thing and then reassemble them, we will recreate the phenomenon. And that just isn't the case. Whether it's with an apple, we put together the chemical components. We're not going to get an apple because there's a certain thing called growth and climate and soil and all those different things and, and and life that has to come into being. It's like baking a cake. We can throw all the ingredients in a, a bowl, um, but we don't have the cake until we bake it. And there's a certain way to mix it in there. There are these elements that are more subjective, let's say, rather than just the objective list of things. Um, and, and I think we, we missed that. We've, we've got too complicated in our analysis and dissection of particular truths, and we forget that it's all about life. I, I love something Leanne Payne said. Now, she, she talked the, about this in her book, The Healing Presence, and she was actually talking about introspection. 
And uh, she was quoting an old professor of hers. I think his name was Dr. Clyde Kilby and, and Wheaton College. And uh, he said to his students at seminary, do you realize that you cannot kiss your girlfriend or boyfriend and think about the kiss at the same time? If you're in the act of kissing and you're thinking about the kiss, then you're missing out on the experience of kissing. <laughs> I thought that was tremendous because so much of the time we're so introspective as Christians. We're so up in our heads. Even, even around experiencing God and how we experience God, that we're actually missing out on this in, this relational interaction of communion that is meant to be enjoyed rather than primarily understood. That's that's so good. And I'm just reflecting back on a conversation that you and I had last week and you were in Africa. And I said, what's it like over there? And you said, well, it's kind of like the apple because we had talked about this experience. And, you know, you think about sometimes other countries that don't have maybe the resources or the information as readily available and how you will see uh, a different type of transformation at the, sa- at the same time. And, and it was just a real life example for you. Wasn't mm. it? I mean, I just remember you remarking on the joy, the joy that you saw there and and just a, a little bit different approach to God than you sense over in our parts in the West. Well, it, it is important, granted, that you don't you know, necessarily compare different parts of the world because we're not often comparing like with like, even in what God is doing. But it has to be said that what was obvious to me was a lot of the discussions that we have in the Western church would be completely over the Africans' heads. And I don't mean that in a patronizing way. What I mean is they they would be redundant discussions. They would be irrelevant. Um, and yet the basic uh, components of the kingdom of God and the simplicity and the primitive nature and rawness of the spiritual realm over there both the the evil and the the godly was so much on the surface that it it begged the question why is it that they don't have all these highbrow theological philosophical you know vogue discussions and yet they are experiencing more of encounter with both the 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 kingdom of heaven and the and, and the dark realm and and i think it's just because they've never got to the stage of complicating it yet like we have and and arguably they they haven't got so far away from the basics that they've had to journey back that they've had to deconstruct and ask the questions and i think we do need to ask the questions but i think also we can get lost in the questions and the discussions and actually what we need to do is kind of stop eating from the tree of knowledge and start eating from the tree of life. Hmm. Yeah, so so good. Uh Ryan Ryan Skoog that's going to be on in a couple episodes up in Minneapolis spends a lot of time overseas and he said part of what they have going for them is they're spending exactly what you're saying. Less of their time discussing all the things that are really hard to understand 
and more <laughs> of their time doing the things that are very clearly understood in scripture. And I think we could afford to make that shift a little bit because sometimes the doing is is what's so transformative. Like a commonality that I, I heard from him and from you in Africa where these people are spending lots of time praying for the lost in their area mm-hmm. instead mm-hmm. of talking about theories of how to reach the lost or talking about theology, they're, do- they're doing the thing. And I think uh, just that very act of practicing the faith that we're trying so hard to understand is transformative. Yeah. I want to just follow up on that to say that, you know, I think we think our primary duty is to understand the word of God or to understand scripture or truth when really our primary duty is actually not to understand it but to believe it and to obey it Mm. and i think that's where you see the difference that we have to and i i can see this in my own background i wouldn't embrace something until i felt i had understood it but and then i would step out in obedience and that's okay to an extent But the problem is there's so much we cannot understand and there's so much mystery in God and it is a life of faith from faith to faith. So if we're always going to wait around till we've got everything sorted in our heads, we're never going to move. And that's what I saw in Africa. They just believe, they obey and God does stuff. We hope that you're enjoying this episode so far. If you're finding this conversation helpful, we want you to know that we have a dedicated app full of resources and opportunities to connect with people around the world who want to see God's kingdom expand right where they are. It's through the generosity of people just like you that we're able to offer everything for free. If you would like to begin partnering with us through a one-time gift or a recurring gift, you can do so at dwellings.info give or simply click the link in the podcast show notes. Thanks again for listening. Now let's get back to the conversation. I was just looking at the verse where Paul's saying, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. was thinking about my journey and how transformation has gone hand in hand in my own life with an understanding of the spirit. Mm-hmm. In addition to the truth. Yeah. Back there, I, I think. I felt like I would never reach God because what brought me close to him was just exactly what you're saying, like figuring it all out, like (laughs) getting to the point where then I knew every fact in the Bible and I had it down and it was, you know, more black and white than it ever had been. And so that was my duty. That's how I'm going to be transformed is by, by getting to the bottom of this thing that feels hard to understand. And I know in your journey, um, you've had a different relationship with the Holy Spirit Mm. um, along your journey. 
you know, you have a, a deep love for the truth of God, for the scriptures, but you've grown in the spirit. So tell us how this marriage of truth and spirit is a key part of transformation and why the truth is not enough without the power of the spirit. Yep. I, I remember when I was kind of going through this transition and 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 I feel I'm still going through it. I don't think you ever end uh, in this progressive journey with the Lord and the Spirit. But I remember reading Job 42, 5 and 6. But I read it in the Good News Bible at the time. And uh, in the New King James Version, it says, Job, after God revealed himself and the whirlwind to him, uh, God, uh, God had given him such a revelation of who he really was. Job replied, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear. But now my eye sees you, therefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. But the Good News Bible put it like this. In the past, I knew only what others had told me, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. So I'm ashamed of all I've said and repent in dust and ashes. And that just felt like me. Um, uh, I, I, I had secondhand knowledge what other people had told me. But I'd always longed and yearned for firsthand experience. Um, and of course, Eliphaz's error in, in the same chapter, God scolds him, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. And basically, Job's friends had misrepresented God to him. And I don't know whether you've had this experience, Catherine, or the people listening, but when I read the book of Job, sometimes I get really confused because it seems that his friends are often speaking truth. But the truth that they were talking wasn't true of Job's situation, and it was misapplied truth. And all of a sudden, God gave me this revelation that if if you have a misrepresentation of God, you will misapply truth, and people will get hurt in the process, mm. and it will perpetuate pain. And because of Job's secondhand knowledge of God, and he was a righteous man, but because of his secondhand knowledge, he only knew what others had told him God allowed him to go into a wilderness to take him apart to put him back together again and this transition I was going through was a wilderness experience where God was doing just that and I was beginning to question a lot of received wisdom in the church that I'd grown up in and a lot of things I just believed and um, I think two of the greatest gifts that we can receive in this life is first of all primarily knowing God as he really is and then secondly getting to know ourselves the way we really are and C.S. Lewis put it like this the prayer preceding all prayers is may it be the real I who speaks and may it be the real thou that I speak to and so God was taking me apart so that I would get to know myself but also taking me apart that I would get to know who he really was, rather than from a second-hand knowledge of other people, from first-hand experience. And there was three areas in particular where, where, where God did that, around the grace of God, around the Father heart of God. I've spoken about these things a lot, and around the area of the Holy Spirit. Um, and to various experiences in the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, um, I came into what I believe was the beginning of more of a first-hand experience with the Lord. So, yeah, I, I do think 
And part of the book that I wrote with Aaron Williams whole was exploring that uh, marriage of truth and spirit and also head and heart, bringing our mind and our heart, just our, our whole being to him. And that's a lifelong journey, as you said, for people listening that, you know, aren't in ministry jobs, uh, they're working all day long and they have experienced God um, in a way that's kind of heavy on head or heavy on on truth. What steps would you recommend taking to experience that fullness that you're talking about? Well, I would very simply go to God and say, Father, because he is your father. And um, and that, that immediately identifies the fact that this whole thing is relational. Mm. You know, th- this is not some, and I believe in justification. I, I believe in uh, substitution. I believe in all these terms and ideas, but we again that's our our attempt at times to um deconstruct the elements in order to work them out when in fact what this is is the prodigal story where the father is running to all of us and wants to reveal his heart to all of us so even those big terms and big big theological concepts need to be in the context of this is relational this is Mm. a father who wants to reveal himself to his sons and his daughters um and so I would just come to him as father and say, Father, Abba, Father, I want you to reveal your heart to me more experientially. I want to experience this relationship with you. Um, and Jesus said that in John 17, his prayer for us all was um, that this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So he even couched the concept of eternal life in the context of relationship. And that was always the heart of the saints. I mean, Moses, one of, I know it's your, one of your favorite passages of scripture, Exodus 33. I mean, Exodus 33 and 13, he prays, I, I want to know your ways, God, but I want to know you, that I might know your ways and know you, who you really are. So that was the beginning of such a journey for Israel as God began to reveal his true character and nature to Moses. But it all came from this one man's desire to say, I want to know your ways. I want to know who you really are. And the word for know there is the Hebrew word yada, of course, which is used of um, sexual union and marriage. And it's not that there's any correlation with that, but it just means that the deepest human uh, experience that we can know is the sexual union um, between a, a husband and a wife and the deepest knowledge that is possible is the knowledge that we can have with God and it's an experience mm. it, it's like a couple coming to the minister and you know saying well we've got the paperwork you know we can uh, now get married mm. legally but we don't want to go in for any of this rom- you know, romantic stuff or sexual stuff we don't want a physical relationship or or an emotional relationship. We don't want that. We just want the piece of paper saying it's okay legally. That would be unthinkable. In the same way, it's unthinkable for us to have scripture to say, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And, you know, I have received eternal life and I'm on my way to heaven and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. These are all the things that I have in Christ. 
but we actually don't have a living relationship that makes any difference to our, our hearts um, and our whole lives. Christianity was meant to be an experience. God was meant to be experienced. It is a relationship that we're meant to have with him. Hmm. Yeah, I was, I was hearing someone talk the other day and they were saying, I have no emotion around God. I have no relationship outside of just me being able to study about him and the Bible. And, but isn't that enough? Because, you know, we don't want to rely on feelings and we need to stand on the truth. And I think what I hear you saying is like, the truth is so important. We cannot neglect the truth. Like we, we want to know the truth of his word, but also um, there's opportunity for more. There's just always opportunity for more that um, he, we can allow and we can invite him to penetrate every part of us and even wake us up emotionally from the inside. And yeah. we can ask to see more of his activity. And he wants to do that. He wants to make himself known. And that's so encouraging. Like there's limitless opportunity to see more of him. And and like that verse that you in John 17, it's it's not just later, like when we get to heaven that we get to see more of him. No. That eternal life is is now. Like we can experience that mm. now. And so it's very exciting. Um as someone who has known God in a very informational way and known stories about him, almost like I've known stories from history books and had about the same amount of emotion around them both, you know, to go, Oh, like he wants to infiltrate all of me and he wants to show me more and more of himself. Um, it's just so exciting. Well, you're absolutely right. And I want to emphasize again, the importance of Holy scripture. I mean, it is the primary revelation of God to us. Um, but the irony is that actually when you start to realize eternal life is meant to be lived, now the scriptures actually become more valuable to you because they're no longer a history book giving you a window into a God that used to do things. But it actually becomes a living word for you now that you can stand on to say, well, God, what about now and what about you doing some of these things for me and for my church and for my family and for my community and my whole world it brings the bible alive yeah and paul talked about that because he said the law the letter of the law kills if you approach scripture um without the spirit it will put people to death and i think that's what we're seeing even in uh, places of worship that emphasize scripture heavily but there's no power of the spirit it kills people. It weighs them down. It's just like Pharisee religion. But the spirit brings life. And Paul, who was a an intellect uh, among intellects, sat at the feet of Gamaliel, um, uh, great learning, great academic ability. You only have to read it as epistles. But he said, I did not come to you with the wisdom of man's words. But I came to you in the power and demonstration of the gospel so that your faith would not be in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. 
And we have tended to do actually the reverse of that. We come in the wisdom of men words. We do what the Pharisees used to do, quoting this rabbi, that rabbi, the other rabbi, the, the intellectual um, you know, experts, when in fact Paul just came along and had the authority of the anointing of the Spirit. There were signs and wonders. The signs of an apostle were wrought in his ministry, and it just proved that God was with him. Yeah, there was a an example that again was in our book Whole that that really came from Matt Chandler originally that illustrates the the need for information, but also that power that you're talking about. And maybe we can close with this, but uh, the bon- a bonfire is a picture that you can look at and you can think about the parts that make up a bonfire, the wood, and then the flame. And you think about uh, a flame without wood underneath it would not have grounding. It wouldn't sustain. It would go out. And you think about the wood without the flame might grow dry and moldy and would lack demonstration and would lack power and movement and how you know, we can look at the wood as information, truth. We can look at the flame as the spirit and God's power giving uh, or lighting a fire to that wood. And so our experience is is really made up of both. Like we need to have an actual knowledge of God. We can't know Jesus without knowing facts about him. We're not going to leave those behind, but equally dangerous is piling up a bunch of facts in an age of information and not Mm. desiring to be set aflame. And I think that's just what we're hoping for is to move from something very incomplete that could be dry and moldy um, to a posture of just inviting God to set us aflame, to set that um, foundational knowledge that that we're hoping to gain a flame so that it has power to really transform us and transform the world around us. Amen to that. Well, can you pray for us that we might experience that? Yeah. So Lord, we just um, bring to you that illustration and thank you for your word. Thank you that it's God breathed. Um, But thank you that you sent your spirit and you told the disciples to do nothing until the spirit came because he was essential for the mission. Um, But not only for the mission, and Lord, we're very quick to move to the doing mode when, in fact, to know you, Lord, to have the Father and the Son revealed to us, the spirit is essential. And so, Lord, help us to walk in the word and the spirit. And Lord, as Wesley said in his hymn, would you kindle a flame of sacred love upon the main altars of our hearts? We want to offer up our bodies as living sacrifices on the claims of the word of God. But Lord, we need the fire to fall of your spirit to consume us. That not only may we be a acceptable offering for you, but Lord, that others would be drawn to the flame, the warmth, and the power of your light through our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. And I just pray for everyone listening here today that as maybe they come with their little prayer, Lord, I want to know you, that you will reveal yourself 
in a new way to them. In Jesus' name, amen.